Sergeant, I know she's been asking for, you know, your, your uh, support and, and for volunteering and so forth, but I just want to, you know, uh, a shout out to those that have stepped up. We've got a lot of people over the last several weeks that have volunteered uh, uh, in the sound booth who have, you know, come up here and worship and other people doing a lot of things, cleaning and doing things around the church and what a blessing. Just uh, people in their, uh, you know, their giving hearts and their willingness to uh, serve the Lord. So. Uh, we're so happy uh, uh, that, that God's will is being done here. So uh, once again, it's my pleasure to announce uh, uh, Dr. Tim Beavis. Uh, Dr. Beavis is back with us uh, for the second week. Um, uh, you might recall he is the Vice President of Internal, I'm sorry, International Operations for Cary Pastoral Training. Uh, Tim has traveled the world um, training up pastors and missionaries and teaching at Bible institutes. He served as a uh, senior pastor and as a church planter, and uh, uh, it's just an honor to have, uh, have Tim back with us uh, this morning. Brother? Thank you. Uh, before we get into our passage this morning as we open God's Word, um, reminded of what the Apostle Paul instructs in 1 Timothy and chapter 2. He says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in, pos in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified, in every way. And so I would invite you to join me in taking a moment to bow our heads and our hearts before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning thankful that you are the sovereign king, the one who is seated on the throne, that all eternity is in your hands, that the nations are under your control, and that you are working out your good and perfect plan and and yet, Lord, we confess to you that our hearts are burdened. We are grieved as we see and as we hear about such tumult taking place in our nation, in our own community. You are a God of justice and of mercy. And Lord, we pray that you would bring justice and mercy in these days. Lord, we do as it is right to do. We cry out to you for the healing of Jacob Blake. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would strengthen his body. Uh, we pray for a full restoration. While doctors have worked, we acknowledge, Lord, that you are the ultimate physician. And we pray, O oh God, that in the midst of this time, that you would give peace to that family and their loved ones. But Lord, we pray as well that you would give great peace and that you would protect uh, those police officers who have been uh, scrutinized from every direction this week. Lord, we pray that you would watch over those who are seeking to protect this community that you would give them great wisdom, that you would give them great restraint and great skill as they do their important, necessary, and valuable work. 
Lord, we pray for the leaders in this community. We ask, oh God, that you would set a guard over their mouths, uh, that they would speak with wisdom, that they would act with wisdom and with integrity in every way. And Lord, in, in matters that we confess are too, too great for us to fully understand, things that sometimes we may be tempted to uh, postulate over or come up with uh, opinions based on our own frame of reference. Lord, we, we, we acknowledge, Lord, that you are the one who knows. You are the one who sees. You are the one who understands. And we pray, oh Lord, that from this that you would bring glory to yourself. We pray that you would bring healing to this community, healing to this nation. We pray that the gospel would go forward, that heavy hearts would be touched and strengthened by the love and the grace and the compassion of Jesus Christ. And Lord, while we don't know many of the answers, we do ask uh, that you would use frail vessels such as we are to be those who would demonstrate your love to a world that desperately needs to see it. And so, Lord, we ask your will be done. We long for that day when indeed your kingdom will come, your will will be done on earth as in heaven. And we rejoice in the knowledge uh, that the day of Christ is coming soon. And on that day, all things will be made right. To you be praise and honor and glory. And now, Lord, as we open your word together, would you instruct us? Would you strengthen us? And would you grant that not one of us would leave here the same as which we arrived? For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Well, as I know you are aware, it is not easy to live as a Christian in the midst of this culture. It is becoming harder and harder, it seems, by the day. And not only is it not easy to live as a Christian in this culture, uh, it, it's sometimes difficult for us even to know how a Christian ought to live because there are so many different voices out there, so many different seeming opinions as to what Christians are supposed to do and what we are supposed to be like. Tragically, oftentimes we try to get our definition of that from somewhere other than God's Word. Uh, but if it is difficult to live as a Christian in the midst of a culture which doesn't really care much for Christianity, uh, which no longer holds the kind of respect for God that it once had, it is even more difficult to live as what we might call a biblically mature Christ follower in the midst of this world. You see, I think oftentimes we kind of cheapen the, uh, uh, the word Christian and, and, and it can uh, refer to all sorts of different things. But in the pages of Scripture, we find a calling to be Christ followers. In fact, we find a calling to be those who are biblically mature as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a sense in which in our lives it can be difficult to know how to live out that high and holy calling for those of us who are followers of Christ, e even within the context of our church. 
Uh, we all know that there are struggles that emerge at different times. Whenever you get two people together in a room, you will have a struggle. Uh, it can be difficult at times to know how we are to live out that high and holy calling in the midst of our family dynamics and our family relationships. How much more so in the midst of a world that increasingly does not share our values. A world that increasingly wants nothing to do with Jesus Christ. A world that would actually like to see the church close its doors and go away. You know, as the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the ancient city of Colossae, he wrote to a group of believers who were struggling with living out their identity and holding fast to the truth, even inside of the church. There were actually some false teachings that were starting to creep in. And so he writes to address that. Uh, as he writes to them, he writes to a, a, a church that is living in a culture that is opposed to the gospel. And he instructs them as to what it means to live as these mature, biblical followers of Christ. If you've got a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, I want to invite you to join me in the book of Colossians in chapter 4. And like uh, several of Paul's other epistles, he starts this letter of Colossians by, uh, in the first two chapters, kind of, if you like, laying the theological foundation, reminding them of the utter supremacy of Jesus Christ over all things. He then moves from there to get to some very practical issues as to how we live out this identity. And so in, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, he states, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that now if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should set aside, uh, you should get rid of and put off the old man, the old person, the, the, the sinful things that you used to do before you came to know Christ. He then from there talks about how they should act in relationship with one another in the church, how they should act in relationship with one another within their family relationship and the household. And then he comes to a section which, at least in my Bible, is entitled Further Instructions. And after asking the Colossian believers to pray for him, he gives some very interesting and very applicable instructions. It was applicable not only 2,000 years ago in Colossae, but perhaps even more so in our day today. He tells them how to live out their faith in the midst of a culture that does not care about what they care about here in Colossians chapter 4. We're going to look this morning just at two verses. Verse 5 and verse 6. He says, Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
what he wants them to see as he writes this in this epistle under the inspiration of the Spirit of God is that we are to live out our calling uh, as biblical Christians in the midst of the world by, by walking wisely. By walking wisely. Or, or we could put it in another way that uh, as we live as biblical, uh, Biblically mature Christians in the midst of our culture, it takes a deliberate and determined wisdom. Uh, this morning I'm using the ESV, the English Standard Version uh, translation, and, and, and it says, conduct yourselves wisely. But actually, uh, as, as Paul says, conduct yourselves wisely towards uh, outsiders, he is using one of his favorite metaphors. He uses it over and over again in his letters, and it is, it is the metaphor of walking. It's the picture of walking. So literally, he is saying, walk wisely, or walk wise. And I've got to tell you, I love this particular metaphor, because you see, I'm, I'm kind of I like things that are straightforward, and, 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 and walking is something I know a little bit about. I, I, I've been doing it now for a while, and so I understand what it means to walk. It, it, it is about putting one foot in front of another. It is about moving forward, step by step, step moment by moment, day by day, in a deliberate and determined direction. Pretty straightforward, right? And we understand what it is to walk. And you know, the Christian life is really all about how we walk, step by step, moment by moment, day by day, in a deliberate and determined direction. To the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul uses this metaphor repeatedly. He says that they are to walk worthy, that they are to walk in love, that they are to walk in the light. And he also uses the same instruction, that they are to walk wisely. You know, the first thing that we need to understand when it comes to the way in which we engage with those who are outside, and when he talks here about those who are outsiders, he's talking about those who, who hold a different set of values. Those who have not yet responded to the gospel. Those who are not a part of the community of faith. How do we conduct ourselves with them? We walk wisely. Now, it's probably no surprise to you that in the midst of this world that we live in, that we need to walk wisely. We need wisdom. In fact, if you were to ask me, how can I pray for you? I can guarantee you that, that I will, somewhere in sharing my prayer request, I will say, pray that I would have wisdom. It's kind of my, it's my constant prayer request because we need wisdom. Uh, it's been said that wisdom is the skill of living life before God. Or another way of putting it, and I think this is quite helpful, it, it, is, it is the ability to take God's truth, his ability to take knowledge and apply it. We need wisdom to know how we, therefore, ought to live each moment, step by step, moment by moment, day by day. Uh, as you heard, I serve with a, a, a mission organization. I'm privileged to serve in this capacity. I need wisdom. In the midst of everything going on in the world right now, um, 
uh, I need wisdom because I, I'm the one with our organization who is going to make the decision as to when we can begin traveling again and which parts of the world we can be working in and who we can, should send. And, 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 and that's going to be an incredibly complex decision. I need wisdom. I need wisdom because I'm a dad with, with four kids. Two of them are teenage daughters. I need wisdom. I need wisdom because I have a 10-year-old son who is a human wrecking machine. He put his head through a plate glass window in our living room recently. Thankfully, he walked away unscathed. I have no idea how. God was very gracious to me in that moment. Instead of yelling, what have you just done? I, I was able to respond with, are you okay? And I, that was a, 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 a moment of, of great restraint on my part. But I need wisdom. I need wisdom because my youngest is five years old and she wants to be a pirate princess. She wants me to call her Captain Sophie. And I want to support her in her dreams, but I don't know where you go to college to be a pirate princess. I need wisdom. We, we know what it is to need wisdom, right? You need wisdom for some stuff in your life right now. Now, it's interesting in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul talks about wisdoms on several occasions. In chapter 1, we have this amazing prayer. And he prays in chapter 1 that they, as believers, he says, would be filled with the, with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He prays for them that they would have this godly wisdom. Interestingly, he also talks in chapter 2 about a worldly wisdom, that those who are false teachers think that what they are doing is wise, but ultimately it's empty. And so we see in this book the idea of the fact that there are two different sorts of wisdom. There is a wisdom from above, and there is a worldly wisdom. And so the, the kind of wisdom he's talking about here, the wisdom that we need as we engage in the culture around us, as biblically mature believers, is we need a godly wisdom. Folks, there's a whole lot of people, even many of them who set pen to paper claiming to be Christians, who are instructing us with a worldly wisdom. Be on guard. We need a godly wisdom in the midst of these difficult days. But notice what it looks like for us to be biblically mature believers, walking in wisdom in relation to the world around us. It's interesting because Paul could say all sorts of different things. He doesn't just say, walk wisely. In fact, he goes on to tell us two specific ways in which we live out this wise walk in regard to outsiders in regard to the culture around us. And, and it's really not the things we expect. We, we kind of expect him to come up with something super spiritual sounding. You know, because when you turn to the Bible and you, and you look at it, you kind of expect to find something super spiritual sounding. And, and it would be easy to read this passage and say, really? Is that it? But Paul gives two very specific and very practical ways in which you and I as followers need to walk wisely. And the first is he says, use your time wisely. Use your time wisely. 
Notice with me, verse 5, conduct yourself wisely or walk, walk wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. You see, the way to walk in wisdom is to be careful to make the best use of your time. Now, the phrase he uses here is actually very interesting. It is a, it is a, a phrase that a merchant would use. So imagine for a moment that you owned a stall at the market. And, uh, uh, and so what you would do is you would, before you could sell anything at your stall, you'd actually have to stock your stall, right? You have to have goods to sell to others. And so recognizing that you only have limited resources, uh, you would go out and you would seek to buy things that you could then sell for a profit. Ma- makes sense, doesn't it? We understand how that works. And so he's actually using the language here that is a marketplace language. When he says that we are to make the best use of our time, literally he is meaning, or he's saying, buy up the time. Or to put it another way, he is explaining to them that you need to make such an investment with your time that you will get the best possible return on investment. That's how we live wisely. That's what it looks like to walk wisely. Interestingly, Paul gives the same instruction to the Ephesians. He says that they are to walk wisely, making the best use of the time. But there he says, because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. He's talking about the fact there that we need to be very intentional about the way that we use our time because unless we are intentional, our time will get sucked up in things that are not honoring to the Lord. Ooh, some of us know what that's like. Some of us know what that is like to find our time being sucked away by other things. You know, it's really interesting that uh, as we, it seems like with this year, it seems on the one hand like the year has just dragged by really slowly. And on the other hand, it seems like it's gone really quickly. Uh, do any of you feel that same way? I mean, I think it's something to do with the fact that for many of us, it feels a little bit like one day has just been very much the same as the next. There hasn't been perhaps the same level of uh, of uh, of distinction in our calendar with different things because so much has been canceled. So it's hard for me to, uh, to think about the fact that, I mean, next week is Labor Day weekend. It's the end of summer. We're already looking at fall. My wife was looking at the fall decorations last night. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Do you remember those days uh, years ago when you were back as a, as a child and, and you were on summer break and you had the whole summer before you and you'd go out and you'd take your bike in the morning and you would just go out and you would ride. And you'd ride over here and you'd ride over there and you'd meet up with friends along the way and you'd ride. And, and before you knew it, the whole day had gone. You hadn't done anything or been anywhere in particular. You just rode. And it was great. It was great to be a kid and to enjoy that during summer break. Here's the thing. There's a whole bunch of people, even within the church of Jesus Christ, who still do that. 
who still act like kids. You know, we go over here and let's entertain ourselves and we go over here and let's entertain ourselves and, and let's do this and let's do this and let's do this. But there is no intentionality about the way that we use our time. It's okay when you're a kid to do that, but when you mature, you recognize there are more important things. There is something deliberate that you are to engage in. And the Apostle Paul says, make the best use of the time. Let me ask you. What are you spending your time on? Where are you investing the limited resource of time that God has entrusted to you? How are you investing your time in your own spiritual growth and well-being? What are the priorities for the way that you invest your time? And, and are those priorities merely stated priorities or are they actual priorities? You know the difference between those, right? You know, uh, we can give the Sunday school answer to questions, but does that mean that that's actually what we're living out? You know, if I were to say, what's the priority for your time? Well, some of you, well, I'm in church, so he wants to hear me say, well, to have a quiet time every morning, to spend this amount of time reading the scriptures. And, but is that actually what you're doing? Uh, are our priorities reflective of our identity? We talked last week from 1 Peter chapter 1 about this living, this unfailing hope that we have, this new identity that we have in Christ as a result of what he has done for us. But let me ask you, does the way that we use our time put on display for a watching world the fact that we are followers of Christ? Or does your calendar... Does your use of your time look precisely the same as your unbelieving neighbor? Because Paul, as he gives this instruction, as he calls on believers to walk wisely toward outsiders, gives a very specific example of the use of our time and is saying, that the way that we use our time is one of the ways that it will display the transforming power of the gospel to a watching world. If my priorities, which are best reflected in the way that I use my time, are no different than somebody who doesn't know Christ, then what does that say about my walk with Now, I'm not saying that we don't get to relax, that we don't get to have fun, that we don't get to kick back and watch a Hallmark movie with our wives. Seen lots of those. <laughs> but what I am saying is that it may be that some of us have been making excuses that we don't have time to invite those neighbors over and get to know them. And perhaps if the Lord gives us the opportunity, share our faith with them. Because we're so busy. Maybe you are busy, but what are you busy doing? Do our priorities, does the use of our time, reflect 
our calling as followers of Christ? Or does it become an excuse as to why we are not living out our calling as followers of Christ? He says that we ought to be on guard. In verse three, uh, 2 and 3, the context here is that Paul has asked the Colossian believers to pray for him. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it in thanksgiving. At the same time, would you pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So when he talks about walking wisely, when he talks about making the best use of our time, what he's got in mind there, at least in part, is this idea of the, uh, of the proclamation of the gospel, that we are to make the best use of our time. We are to make a kingdom investment with our time. Conduct yourself wisely toward outsiders. Now it's interesting that he's not done. I said that there were two practical ways in which he tells us that we are to walk wisely. The first is making the best use of our time, but the second is, he says, be wise with your words. Be wise with your words. Look, he says, verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul, uh, we were looking for something a little more spiritual. And now you're meddling with us. First, you're getting into the way that we use our time. And now you're getting into the way that we speak. Now, isn't it interesting, out of all of the things that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, could have instructed about how we, as followers of Jesus Christ, to engage and conduct ourselves in relation to a watching world that is frequently hostile towards the gospel. That out of all of the things he could have said, he said, keep an eye on how you use your time. And keep an eye on the way you speak. Wow. How do we engage the unbelieving world around us as biblically mature disciples? By being gracious in our speech. By being gracious in our speech. You know, Paul is very clear here in the, the way in which we're supposed to speak. In um, the book of Titus, in Titus chapter 3, Again, speaking about how as believers we're to interact with a watching, unbelieving world. He says uh, of believers, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. And listen to this, verse 2 of of Titus chapter 3. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. posting on Facebook the stuff that we're talking about after watching the news reports 
the way in which we are speaking not only to certain people, but about certain people is not reflecting what it means to walk wisely. And more than that is not reflecting the fact that as James says, that these are people created in the image of the living God. We need to be on guard with this if we are to walk wisely as biblically mature disciples. He says, let your speech always be seasoned with salt. It's an interesting expression, you know, because um, today if we talk about salty speech, we're probably talking about something that's kind of coarse, something that uh, is, is, is perhaps inappropriate. Uh, but that's not how it was in Paul's day. In fact, there were kind of two different, uh, slightly varying uh, ideas of, 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 of speech being salty or seasoned with salt in Paul's day. Uh, on the one hand, it was talking about a kind of speech that is a, like a preservative, something that, uh, that, that uh, uh, brings something positive to bear on the situation. On the other hand, interestingly enough, it was talking about speech that was, that was witty, that was intelligent and, and entertaining. Now, I'm not suggesting that Paul is saying that we should compromise uh, the gospel in any way in our speech, but I'm also suggesting to you that, that the Apostle Paul didn't want believers being tiresome bores. In fact, I think what he is talking about here is the fact that as we engage people in conversation, we should engage them in such a way as to put on display the magnificence of the message that has been entrusted to us. You know, the, the most tasty conversation that there is, is about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The most satisfying message that a person could ever hear, could ever communicate, is the gospel message. But how do we, as mature followers of Christ, engage a culture that, quite frankly, doesn't really care what we believe? When all that they expect argued with, be criticized by, to be condemned over. Guess what? You know, the, an unbelieving world sins. That's what they do. People who are from Christ sin because they are apart from Christ. So, so we've got to be very careful that we don't jump in, criticize everything that's going on, lambast them for their sin, because that's what sinners do. But rather, walking wisely, being careful to make the best use of our time, and engaging them in a way in which we are able to answer each person that. That takes wisdom from above. That takes walking by the Spirit. That takes seeking Him and asking Him to give us His words 
Now, again, it's not only that, that the speech is to be gracious, not only that it's to be seasoned with salt. He says, so that you may know how to answer each person. There's a personal nature to this. We need wisdom that we would walk wisely so that we know how to engage each individual person in the place that they are. Too often, we are busy trying to answer questions that nobody's asking. Too often we walk into a situation and we've already determined what we're going to say and what we think about the situation without ever listening to the heart of the person. Our speech is to be gracious. The problem is that sometimes we take these kind of passages out of context. We forget them or we get wrapped up in what everybody else is doing. Uh, we think of how in First Peter chapter 3, it talks about always being ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. And it's a wonderful passage. It's been hijacked oftentimes uh, in the realm of apologetics. And it's not that it doesn't have anything to say to apologetics, but what we, what we often think that that means is be ready to win your argument. It's not what that's talking about. In fact, the next verse goes on to talk about the fact that we are to do it with gentleness. We are to do it in such a way as to show such respect that they would have nothing to say against us. Not because our argument is so great, but because of the grace and of the compassion with which we have communicated. And so, he tells us that we have a calling to walk wisely. You know, one of the reasons that we often don't do this, now one of the reasons that we often hide rather than engaging is the fact that we're concerned that we might not have anything to say. We're concerned that we might not know the answer to a question that somebody might ask. That's okay. It's understandable. Did you know that as followers of Jesus Christ, we get to make that excuse exactly once? I mean, think about it. We get to make the excuse, I don't know enough. One time. Just one time. Imagine for a moment that you are a brand new driver. Uh, that you are out, you're making your way to your friend's house, and all of a sudden, as you're driving along the road on your own, you hear a thud, 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 thud. So you pull over, and you are amazed to discover that you have a flat tire. And suddenly you realize, I have no idea how to change this tire. So what do you do? Well, nowadays, you pull out your cell phone, right? And you call Dad. So dad comes along, and, uh, uh, and, and you don't stand back sort of, you know, checking your Facebook status and texting your friend. No, you're paying attention now to what he's doing because, uh, because it's okay that you didn't know how to change a tire. But this is your opportunity to learn. And you realize in that moment, guys, you understand what I'm saying here. You, you realize in that moment that there may come a time when you're out and maybe you're there with your girlfriend again, if you imagine you're a young teen and, 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 and uh, you don't want to ever be in a situation where you are headed to the movies with her and you get a flat tire and you have to call your dad to change the tire. Now, you know, I better learn this stuff. Too often, we don't engage our neighbors 
We don't engage in a conversation with our coworkers. We are timid and don't step forward and, and share the splendor of Christ. And we use the excuse, I don't have enough time or I don't know enough. Paul tells us that we are to keep an eye on our time, make sure that we're using it wisely, not as an excuse. And he tells us that we are to speak to everyone, to know how to answer everyone appropriately. It's okay if you don't know enough. But if you ever find yourself in a situation you don't know how to answer, if you ever find yourself in a situation and a conversation comes up and it's like, you know what, you got me. You know what we do as followers of Christ who are seeking to live as biblically mature Christians? We go away and we say, now's the time for me to learn. So if I'm ever in that situation again, I'm ready. I'm ready. Paul, as he wrote to this church some 2,000 years ago, reminded them of their high and holy calling in Christ. And today, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have died with Christ. You have risen with Christ. Your life is bound up in Christ. And that is a glorious thing. And we can rejoice in this identity that we have in Christ. Identity, this new identity that we have in Him, transforms every relationship that we're a part of. It transforms the relationship with other believers. It transforms the relationship within a family environment. We no longer live the way that we used to. And you know what? It transforms the way that we live in the midst of a culture that is so confused that it is rioting and protesting and crying out for understanding. I wonder how many of us, and I include myself in have in the midst of this rather confusing year of 2020 spent far more time and far more of our talk focused on complaining about and trying to set the world to rights with our own human wisdom about a virus, about a protest, about a riot, about a political party, as Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, writes to these believers. And as God has preserved this for us today, he writes to us. He says, walk wisely toward outsiders. Make the best use of your time. Oh, be careful that you speak to everyone with grace. Because after all, isn't that how God has communicated with us? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we again bow the knee before you. And as we do so, we ask that you would forgive us for often being so wrapped up in the things of this world that we forget that we have a high and holy calling in Christ. Lord, I pray for myself. And I pray for each of us gathered here. I pray for this church that you would cause us 
to be a lamp on a hill, a light that shines brightly in this community, a light that shines brightly to our neighbors, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our unbelieving family members, to people who right now are walking in darkness. Lord, forgive us for how easily we find ourselves acting and living and engaging in the very same things as we did before we came to know you. Would you cause us to live such lives before those around us that they would see our good deeds and glorify you, our Father, who is in heaven. Teach us today and through this week and each day to walk by your Spirit, to walk wisely and reveal to us where there are places in our schedule where we are failing to make the best use of our time. And Lord, would you reveal to us, and as needed, would you convict our hearts for where our speech has not been gracious. Instead, Lord, set a guard over our mouths, Set your word in our mouth, and may we speak only that which will build others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen, and that it will glorify Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name.